So at the beginning, we talked about people who weren't ready to get vulnerable and talk to me. Mm -hmm. This is for them. This is for people who may not think they're big enough. These, this is for people who are like, I'm not ready to work with somebody. I think I can do some of this in-house. And here's the thing. Nothing that we do is rocket science. Mm -hmm. I have tried to write this whole book in kitchen table English mm. and not use fancy terms and everyone should be able to understand it. And so I want to give you some ways that you can do these things yourself. Mm -hmm. How to write that engagement agreement mm -hmm. that's going to get you paid. How to head off a cash crunch. Mm -hmm. How to get your books done. Are you the right person to be doing your books? Mm -hmm. Or should you be using a bookkeeper? How to create a cash flow forecast and how to create a profit plan. Mm -hmm. How to create those goals for yourself and how to keep yourself accountable. Mm -hmm. Fierce Lab is a podcast series for women. It's powered by the Tara Wilson Agency, the agency that gets women. It's a space to focus on our whole selves, from mental health to career development to financial intelligence. To be fierce is to be confident, capable, and strong. Fierce Lab offers inspiration, tools, and community. It's where we can explore new ideas and encourage discovery. Here, trying something new is celebrated. No one has it all figured out, but together, we can step fiercely into what's next. On today's episode of Fierce Lab, I talk with Brooke Lively, founder of Cathedral Capital. We're covering the six numbers that any entrepreneur needs to have in order to take their business from panic to profit. We cover everything from why cash is king to utilization rates and why those are so important. And we talk about how to create and use a budget appropriately in your business. This is a great episode and I can't wait to hear what you think. Go to our Instagram account, Fierce Lab, and leave a comment on our latest post about this podcast. Welcome everyone to another episode of Fierce Lab. I'm your host, Tara Wilson, and today I'm joined by Brooke Lively, founder of Cathedral Capital. Hi, Brooke. Hi, Tara. How are Good. you? Good. She's joining me in studio here in Fort Worth. So guys, let me tell you about Brooke's company, Cathedral Capital. She works with entrepreneurs to help them become more profitable. And today we're going to talk about her newest book that'll be released soon, From Panic to Profit, The Six Numbers That Can Make a Six-Figure Difference in Your Business, which I am super excited about. I'm so glad you're here. Well, thanks so much, Tara. I really yeah. love being here. You say you provide strategic and logistical support to help entrepreneurs achieve their goals. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with your work, because I certainly am, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. Tell them a bit more about what that means. So everybody has a goal. Everybody has something that they want their company to be. And we think about that as a mountain. Mm. What's the mountain you want to climb? Mm -hmm. And then we serve as your Sherpa to help you climb that mountain. Mm. We help pack the tools that you're going to need. We help teach you 
what you need to learn as you go up this mountain. We point out places where you could slip and fall, places where you can fall back, all of those kinds of things. Mm. And we do this a number of ways. The one you are most familiar with is by serving as a fractional CFO. Mm -hmm. But what we really do is we build a team for you because... It's not just one Sherpa that you need to get up the mountain. You need a lot. Mm. So we give you a CFO and an analyst and a an accountant mm -hmm. and someone who can help you integrate technology because these are the things that will allow us to really look at your company, figure out where you're not making the money you should be. Mm -hmm. To make you more profitable. Absolutely. And so you brought it up. I am familiar with the fractional CFO work. So for anyone listening, um, Brooke's company functions as my CFO. Um, I don't work with Brooke personally. I work with a wonderful lady named Laura who has... The best disposition suited for me. <laughs> <laughs> she has a great disposition. Nothing ever ruffles her. No, nothing. And she can hold her own. So... You provide fractional CFO work. You also provide accounting and bookkeeping work for mm -hmm. Tara Wilson Agency. Um, but as you mentioned, you as a company offer a lot of services as well. And you've worked with over hundreds of entrepreneurs, which is partly what led you to write your new book. So can you tell us about your book? So I was in an EO meeting, which mm -hmm. is actually how you and I met. Mm-hmm. And, and EO stands for the Entrepreneurs Organization. Oh, yes. Very good. Thank you. And I was sitting there and the guy running the meeting said, if you were on a desert island, mm. five-star resort, absolutely fabulous, no internet, phone, or TV. And once a week, a supply boat comes and it picks up departing guests, drops off new guests, and is your only communication with the outside world. Mm -hmm. What three to five pieces of information would you want the captain of that boat to hand you for you to decide if you could stay for another week? Mm -hmm. What And that in your case, it would be financial numbers, numbers that you felt like you would want to know. Right. Mm -hmm. It's basically a dashboard. What are those things that you need to know, those numbers you need to know to give to be able to put your finger on the pulse of the business? Mm -hmm. And so my team and I talked about this a lot. And is it three? Is it five? Is it 10? Is it 20? Is it two? Like, what do you need to know? And eventually we settled on six. Mm -hmm. And there are four forward looking numbers and two numbers to tell you if you're still on track for your goals. Mm -hmm. And we felt like these pieces of information would let you decide whether you stayed on the on the island or not. Mm -hmm. And then I just realized after talking about them and and writing blogs about them and all of that, that we just needed to put it in a book. Mm -hmm. And in working with entrepreneurs and writing blog posts and and consulting with what commonalities have you seen across all of these businesses that you worked with? Can you pinpoint anything? Yeah. <laughs> the first is that I don't think I've ever seen, well, one exception is my cousin, but generally, no one starts a business because they want to own a business. They start a business because they're passionate about something. Mm -hmm. And that whole business part of it, the knowing your numbers, the accounting, that's not their bliss. Mm -hmm. And and so they feel, they feel very unsure of themselves. Mm -hmm. 
What am I missing? What do I not know? They're very slow to raise their hand and say, I don't know this because, I mean, for heaven's sakes, what would their clients think of them? What would their banker think of them? What mm -hmm. would all of these people? So they kind of keep up this front of everything's great, everything's fine, and then they're panicking by themselves in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. Sure. So when I started working with you in 2015, that was very much the place that I was in. Not sleeping well, panicked. I called it, I described it like standing in front of a room without my clothes on. I felt very <laughs> exposed. You recall, I mean, I was very reluctant to sit down with you and Laura because to open up these books and show what is or isn't there, what I did and didn't have a handle on was very frightening for me. And I know from talking to other entrepreneurs that I'm not alone in that. Yeah, it's you have to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I had a client, one of my very first clients looked at me and said, no, Brooke, I'm going to have to show you my underwear drawer. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? This is totally mm -hmm. bizarre. He said, I need to tell you about that. I'm like, we're talking about a metaphor here, right? You're not actually going to show. So, right. But, but that's true. Yeah. You've got to turn over. You've got to tell us everything. Everything. That's because, the only way you can help. Right. Mm -hmm. Once we have everything, we can deal with it. And here's the thing that I tell people. I promise you. I have seen worse. Mm -hmm. I have seen people that have owed over a million dollars in payroll taxes. Mm -hmm. I have seen people that have multiple six figures of credit card debt. I've seen people, I mean, I have seen it all mm -hmm. and I have seen it so much worse than anything sure. that you could come up with. Well, and one of the reasons that I wanted to invite you in today is because on Fierce Lab, we talk a lot about um, that women aren't comfortable talking about money across a variety of things. And April is Financial Literacy Month. And all month long, Fierce Lab is going to be focusing on a variety of topics related to financial literacy. But one of those areas that I often get asked about from other women entrepreneurs is about the financial piece. And, and I wanted to be able to kind of bring you to the table to demystify some of these insecurities that we have and concerns. And and really then with your book, I mean, it it makes perfect sense. The title's amazing to take people from panicking about their numbers to where not only are they confident, but they're profitable, which is what you and Laura have helped me do. I just feel like women entrepreneurs need to know that other women like you exist. Absolutely. So I have been, this kind of sounds weird. I went to an all-girls high school. I went to an all-women's college. Mm -hmm. I've got the girl power thing mm -hmm. going. And um, I can remember a few years ago, I had a, a group of people here in Fort Worth. We all worked for our families. And we were all the daughters who were going to be in charge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, when... Sure. Succession. Yep. And... We started a group where we talked about money. Mm -hmm. And my mother looked at me and she's like, that is so cool. Mm. I so wish I had someone to have those discussions with. Sure. Because historically, women haven't had those discussions. Yeah, And that's another reason why I wrote the book. If you get on the phone with me, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions, mm -hmm. which you may or may not be ready to answer. Yep. And if you're not ready to answer them, that's fine. But reading the book... 
you can kind of answer them to yourself. Yeah, and prepare you. And we're we're going to really dig in. And I, I know at the end, we're going to talk about this great how-to chapter that you created, which is for women who um, perhaps aren't ready to reach out to you personally. Mm-hmm. But let me just reiterate, the title of the book is From Panic to Profit, How Six Key Numbers Can Make a Six-Figure Difference in Your Business. So before we dig in, talk to us about when it's released and how we can buy it. It will be released midsummer. Okay. We don't have the final date yet, mainly because, well, Tara, you know this. When you release a book, there's this whole marketing plan <laughs> thing that happens. Right. Yeah, so we're a little low on that at the moment. But it'll be available on Amazon. So it's actually the second book in the Panic to Profit series. Okay, so if a person isn't interested in waiting for this one, you have a precursor to this that they can find. I do. Mm-hmm. It is really directed at law firms. Mm-hmm. So it's from Panic to Profit, how six key numbers can make a difference in your law firm. The concepts are all the same. Okay. What's different are the stories that make it relevant to other Mm -hmm. industries. Great. Well, and you can reference this podcast because we're going to get into some of these key numbers. And hopefully um, that can tide you over until you can get a copy. Or, of course, you can always reach out to Brooke and Cathedral Capital for their services. Um, So, all right. Let's go deep into all things money for women. So the first key number that you tell us that we need to know is cash flow forecast. Yeah. So cash is king. And you say that your cash balance is the foundation upon which all other numbers rest. Why is that? Well, let's back up for just a second. So there are six key numbers, mm-hmm. but they come from six different parts of your business. And each part of your business has a few numbers and they tend to build on each other. Okay. So when we're talking about a cash flow forecast, that is the first section of your business is cash. Got to get that under control. There are a few numbers we need to know. We need to know your cash balance, which is where you stand today. Mm-hmm. But really, that's just a number. It doesn't give you any information. And as I said earlier, four of these numbers forecast, they tell you what's coming and two of them help you get back on track. So this is one, the cash flow forecast looks out. It looks to the future. It tells you how much money you have today, Mm -hmm. how much money you think you have coming in each week for the next six to eight weeks, and how much money you think you're going to spend each week for the next six to eight weeks. Yeah, it's critical. Absolutely. And the reason why we do six to eight weeks is so that you have time to react. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you, you know, if you get a phone call from your bookkeeper that says payrolls tomorrow (laughs) and we don't have enough money. Uh Or your franchise tax is due and you owe $16,000. And oh, by the way, I filed it today. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Thank you. That was so nice of you. (laughs) You don't have a lot of time to react. Mm hmm. If you can look forward and you know that the that the franchise tax is going to be due in five weeks and it's going to be $16,000, we've got five weeks to figure out how that's going to get paid. Mm-hmm. Whether it's shifting some bills to different timing, whether it's talking to some of your vendors about giving you longer term, mm-hmm. whether it's getting a, a loan, whether it's sure. selling. Like you have options in five weeks. Mm-hmm. You have a lot more options than you have in five days. Sure. And in the case you're talking about, 
whole lot more options than you have in five hours. Right. Absolutely. It's it's critical. I live and die by my cash flow worksheet. You know this. I know that. And, <laughs> and it is, I have to say, Tara, yours is a work of beauty. <laughs> I do like my cash flow it, worksheet. It is, it is fun to get into these days. <laughs> I do enjoy it. <laughs> it. It has grown. It is mm-hmm. like, it is an amazing forecasting Okay. And for so you. we'll explain a little bit about that. So my cash flow worksheet happens to be a very robust Excel worksheet. Uh, it downloads any credit card balances and transactions uh, on the weekly. It has a revenue tab. So I'm forecasting out all different clients and the revenue at which and when it's coming in. And the same thing, it has an expense tab. So for every client and every expense associated with that client, it's forecasted out. It has a savings element. So I know how, to, how when, and how much savings to move in. It's really fun to work with. And it's a lot more fun when it's positive. Oh, um, gosh, yes. <laughs> than, than when it isn't. So, okay. But wait, can I say one thing about that? Cash flow forecast doesn't have to be as complicated as yours. Mm. We didn't start there however many years ago. Right. That's true. We started with something that's simple. Mm-hmm. And you can start with something simple. And Tara, if your listeners want to go to cathcap.com, C-A-T-H-C-A-P.com forward slash Fierce Lab, they can download a spreadsheet Love it. Cash flow forecast. It's set up. The math is done. You just plug in the numbers. Love it. Not as robust as yours, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's a great starting point. Well, and it probably looks a lot like what I started with. Absolutely. And when I came to you, I had nothing. And within a, f- a few days, you and Laura had whipped it to sh- into shape for me. And so thank you for that. And we will post that also on our website as well. So I was talking about um, that my worksheet has accounts receivable and accounts payable built into it. So you say that AR, accounts receivable, is like making an uncollateralized loan at 0% interest to your customers or your clients. Are there some things that we can do upfront in the beginning of our client relationships to minimize this? Because I am not in the business of being my my client's bank and they will <laughs> quickly and rapidly make you so. I've made every mistake in the book. You you hear you you know, but it, Tara, what can listeners do? We've all made the mistakes. Mm-hmm. So let's learn from each other. Mm-hmm. So I I think there are two big things you can do. The first is set expectations. AR is created the first time you meet a client in that initial consultation appointment. Mm-hmm. So let's set the expectation that you are going to be paid every single month on time. Internally, we're going to back that up with some policies and procedures. But then with the client, we're going to back it up with a contract. Mm-hmm. What is that service agreement? What is that contract? Make sure that it not only benefits the client, but benefits you. Mm-hmm. Getting paid is in there. And the way you do that is if you are a long-term project, so you've got long-term projects, you have to give me X amount of money before we'll get started. Mm-hmm. That should cover about the first three months of work. Then they should give you a deposit that covers an average three months worth of work after that. And they should replenish that. 
And people are like, oh my gosh, that's so hard to keep track of. And how do I track them down for that money? Okay, so that's the next part. Mm -hmm. Take payment timing out of the client's hands. Yeah. Because... They really don't have that much interest in paying you. No, there's no incentive for them to do so, right? (laughs) Right. Everybody wants to hang on to their cash. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Get a credit card agreement from your clients. Mm -hmm. Make it part of that contract. Mm -hmm. And have them authorize you to charge their card to keep them in compliance with that contract. And what do you think about um, tacking on an additional like financing charge if uh, clients aren't paying on time? Um. Absolutely. If that's your business model, that's that's fine. Um, I will say that usually the amount tacked on is minimal. It is minimal. It's so hard like, to enforce. Is it, is it worth the headache? No, it's really not. No. And and if you are like most small businesses, you're probably financing this on your credit card, which means that if they don't pay you, you're carrying debt on your credit card at anywhere from 12 to 23 percent. And you're not going to charge people 23%. No, and, you know, you're going to so charge them I'm 1 like, to 2%. So it doesn't even make sense. Yeah, it doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. And then the last part of this is have some kind of stop work policy. Mm. And there are two parts to this. Again, there's the external to a client. This is what happens when you don't pay me after X period of time, we stop work, but also the internal. Mm-hmm. How do you tell the rest of your team that that client is now off limits? Mm-hmm. And sure. it can be easy. Yeah. And you referenced some really good um, ways to do that inside the book. Everything from color coding your files to, in in one instance, just putting a red rubber band around the file. And if anyone saw a red rubber band on the table, they knew not to touch it. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, and that's for what? Like $2, you can go to Office Depot and yep. get red rubber bands. Absolutely. And not so, everything has to be high tech and expensive. So what I heard you say there is it's really important to set these expectations up front with the new client, build it into your contract and also let them know the consequences if they do delay payment. Absolutely. Love that. Communicate, communicate, over communicate. All right. So the second number, Brooke, that you tell us to monitor and know is owner compensation. So when I started working with Cathedral Capital, that was a pressing question that I had. In particular, like how much money should I be spending across a variety of categories, including payroll, but overhead. And you guys taught me about the rule of thirds. Will you explain that concept? Absolutely. So first of all, Tara, I think this is the question I get asked more than anything else. How much Mm. should I be spending on? Mm -hmm. How much should I be spending on rent? How much should I be spending on payroll? I do think that ultimately what a lot of people want to know is how much should I be spending on these things and how much should I be taking home? Mm. Mm-hmm. Because that's a big question, right? Sure. We talk about the rule of thirds. There are rules of thirds all over the place. They exist in nature. They exist in architecture. Well, here it is in finance. One third of your revenue should go to the people doing the work. That includes you as the owner. Mm-hmm. If you are doing billable work. One third goes to overhead, which is, you know, office supplies, phones, marketing, rent, all Mm -hmm. of those expenses. And one third should be going to you as profit, you Mm -hmm. the owner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a, a real key distinction. I think when you are especially a new small business owner, you pay everybody else 
yeah. first. You don't tend to pay yourself first. And I'm speaking from experience here, right? That maybe there are a lot of really smart business, new business owners out there that haven't made these mistakes, but I didn't pay myself first. And so when you talk about the rule of thirds, I loved what you said. There's that third that goes to payroll, the mm -hmm. people doing the work. And as the business owner, you are doing some work. So you've got to compensate you for that. But then you also have the owner compensation because you were taking all the risk. You were putting all the skin in the game and you've got to be paid back for that because if you're not paying yourself, you have a hobby, right? Yeah. Occasionally very expensive hobby. Mm -hmm. Or as one of my friends called her husband's job, it was something like a she called it his tax write-off. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was like, okay, so that's not so great. But yes, at the end of the day, you are an investor in your business. Mm -hmm. And you need to be paid as an investor in your business. And you are the one that is, it is your personal guarantee on all the debt. You are the one who commits to to making payroll and making sure everybody gets paid mm -hmm. every week, month, however often you pay. You... Your personal financial health is on the line. Mm -hmm. And you have to be compensated for the risk you're taking. Absolutely. And he who takes the risk reaps the reward. Right. So as you take that, you need to make sure that you are getting the reward mm -hmm. and you are getting the money that, that you deserve, sure. not only for the work you're doing, but also for the risk you're taking as mm -hmm. the owner. The flip side can be, and this was not in my particular case when we started working together, but the flip side can be that the owner is taking too much money out of the business uh -huh. and not leaving enough in the business to run the business, pay the team, those sorts of things, too. I'm yeah. sure you see that. We talk about starving your your firm, starving your company. Mm -hmm. um, we notice that this happens the most right after people cross that million-dollar revenue mm -hmm. because all of a sudden they feel successful. Mm-hmm. And they they get this whole millionaire mindset mm. and they think that a million dollars will buy a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And they seem to think that that million dollars of revenue is a million dollars in their pocket. I, mm -hmm. <laughs> they're not quite sure. And, and so all of a sudden we start seeing new cars and eating out more and lavish trips. And the problem is, is that you start to starve your firm of cash mm -hmm. and you don't have enough cash in the company to be able to do things like hire that new employee or really jump on that marketing opportunity that could be so incredible mm -hmm. and really push you forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there, there are two ways that you could play with that. So the rule of third, the one third paying the people doing the work, you talk about that particular 33% as having this concept of a 3x to a 5x multiple. Can you speak to that specifically? Absolutely. So we work almost exclusively with professional services companies. Mm -hmm. So like your marketing agency and, and things like that. So we produce services. We don't produce product mm -hmm. as often. So when you start looking at your company where we make money is off of your people. On our people. That's, that's your inventory. Mm -hmm. You have billable people. And you have non-billable people. Mm -hmm. Your non-billable are your admin. So yep. let's say you have an in-house accountant or an in-house uh, 
receptionist. I was going to say receptionist mm-hmm. or, sure, you know, marketing, if that, not for you, but for non-marketing companies, if you have an in-house marketing person, they're non-billable. The billable people are the client-facing people. They're the people getting the work done. Mm-hmm. And it, people are like, well, I can just do three times their salary. If they're billing three times their salary, they're fine. Not really. Mm -hmm. But let's even back up because I've talked with other female business owners who are in the service-based business and they, let's just say they have an employee that they pay $50 an hour and they want to bill them out at $50 an hour. Like, hold up right there, right? Your eyes are as big as saucers when I said that. That, Clearly they don't work with you. So let's talk about, it's start with three times what you pay them, right? Well, let's back up and really figure out the cost of employment. Mm. Because it's not just the $50 an hour that you're paying them. Mm -hmm. It's the $50 an hour plus the employer taxes, Mm -hmm. plus if you've got a 401k, Mm -hmm. plus if you offer health insurance, plus if you like plus, plus, plus. 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 Mm -hmm. So generally we start at at 15 to 20%. If you're out in California, you can bump up to 25 or even 30 if you offer a robust package. Mm. So if you're paying somebody $100,000 a year, they are costing you bare minimum 115. Mm-hmm. Bare okay? minimum. Sure. Bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. There's there's no health insurance on that one. So sure. you know, you you have that. Mm-hmm. And then you need to take a multiple of that. And what you want is for every employee to, pr- to produce and collect, because remember, sure. doesn't matter how much they bill. Right. We got to get if it in the door. Right. If you can't get the client to pay it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So three to five times their cost of employment. Mm-hmm. So if they cost us $115,000 a year. We better be billing them out at three times. Mm-hmm. Minimum. Minimum. And a lot of people just stop there. They're like, okay, I got it, 3X. Well, here's the problem. That person will bill out at 3X. And if every single one of your people are billable, then you're going to make your one-third, one-third, one-third. Mm-hmm. But the second you have a receptionist, the second you have a bookkeeper, the second you have sure. any kind of in-house admin people, that 3X isn't going to work. So your billable people need to bill more. Mm-hmm. They need to bill somewhere between three and five X. And, you know, I've experienced where I've worked with contractors, mm-hmm. right? And I'll bill the contractor out three to five times their multiple, depending. Yep. And uh, the contractor may end up knowing what we build them out and they just get beside themselves. And I'm <laughs> and, and I get it. I get it because here here's someone that's billing you out at three times what you typically bill yourself out at. Mm-hmm. But did you go out and find that work? Did you cultivate that relationship? Did you take the risk to bring that business in the door and keep it? And then how else is your work having to circulate inside the business organization? And as I always say, the buck stops with me. So at the end of the day, who takes responsibility for your final work? That's right. That contractor Mm -hmm. didn't find the client. Right. They didn't actually bill the client. That costs money. (laughs) Thank you. They did not. They didn't set up the website. They don't, you know, they're not paying for the email. All those things, all those overhead things. 
And let's talk money. Let's talk about what you mean by they didn't bill the client and that costs money. Actually, having someone that creates a bill and emails it to the client and then is responsible for collecting the money. And then let's not forget about the terms with your client. So a lot of my clients, I have 30-day terms. Some I have 60-day terms. So I'm floating, goes back to that original, you know, try try not to be your client's bank. That's the loan you've made. As the business owner, I'm holding the note for this piece of business. My employees still get paid regardless of whether I've gotten paid. Mm -hmm. You're not telling the contractor, okay, so I'll pay you in 90 days when my client pays Mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. You're saying, okay, I'm going to pay you today. Right. When you or according to the terms of your invoice. Sure. Whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why is owner comp such a key number? Because you talk about that the second key number is owner's compensation. We talked about the rule of thirds. We've talked about three X and five X. But why is the owner comp piece the actual number that I should be looking at? Because it really goes back to what we said earlier. You've got to be compensated. Mm hmm. For the risk you're taking. And if you're not doing that, if you are not getting paid, then why do you have this hobby that is like sucking up all your time? Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. So that's how we make our livelihood. Third key number is work in progress. You say business owners should have a billing goal. How do we apply this concept regardless of industry and business type? So you should have a billing goal for each employee. So Like I said a couple of minutes ago, your employees are your inventory. Mm -hmm. Their hours are what you have to sell. Mm -hmm. You got to have a goal for how many hours they're going to sell. If you don't, you can't figure out their multiple, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really easy to take their cost of employment, multiply it by four, Mm -hmm. and then say, all right, you have this many hours to sell in a year. Mm -hmm. This is your rate. Go sell them. Mm -hmm. Go work them. Go collect them. Sure. Looking at a report every week tells you if they're selling those hours or not, Mm -hmm. if they're getting worked, if they're getting delivered to a client. Mm -hmm. And when you say selling, you don't necessarily mean that the employee is going out and selling their time. I just all of a sudden had a vision of like somebody standing on the street corner with a sign, hours to sell. No, I'm talking about actually delivering those hours. Right. You as the business owner have probably already pre-sold them. Exactly. And so I wanted to be clear about that for somebody who maybe is just starting a business or isn't clear on what we're talking about. You're not asking your employee to go sell their actual hours and say, hey, it's on you to figure out your salary, but it is on the company as a whole and whoever is doing the selling inside the organization. There are a couple of reasons why employees don't make their billing goals. Mm. What are those? Well, the first is that the marketing's not working and they haven't sold enough business. Mm -hmm. There's just not enough for them to do. Right. One is they're forgetting to write down their hours. Mm-hmm. There was a study that was done probably about 10 years ago that said, if you don't write your hours down on the day you work them, mm-hmm. by the next day, you have forgotten 50% of it. Sure. I mean, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Tracking you can build your time. six hours in one day and not record it. And then the next day, you can only, you can only account for about three hours of it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's because an employee doesn't have something that they need. They're waiting for a piece for somebody else to finish. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they're locked out of some kind of computer program they need, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's because they're, you know, sitting around not doing binge work. watching Netflix, <laughs> I, you know. And Let's so hope that's not happening too often to anyone. I, it did more often than you think. Mm. So you really need to look at when you look at that WIP report, when you look at that work in progress well, every week. Just about to ask you, you talk about it's important to have a work in progress report. So you're managing your capacity. Yeah. So you have X number of hours per week mm-hmm. that that can be worked. Are they working them? Are they ahead? Are they behind? If they're ahead, why are they ahead? And you really might want to be a little concerned about that because they might be headed towards burnout. Okay. If they're behind, why are they behind? Mm -hmm. Is it because they don't have the work, because they don't know how to do the work, because they're waiting on somebody else, or because they're binge-watching Netflix? Mm -hmm. And as a work-in-progress report, describe it. Is it an Excel sheet? Employee A, employee B, employee C. No, it's going to come out of whatever system you use to keep your time. Mm. So if it's QuickBooks, it'll come out of QuickBooks. But really, um, it's better to keep it in quick time, which is the new QBO. It used to be called T-Sheets until like three weeks ago. Okay. But you can run it out of there. If you're using some kind of practice management software, Mm It will be in there. It's a pretty standard report. Okay. And it will exactly what you said. It'll say, employee A, hours worked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Billable hours worked. And it'll give you a comparison to yeah. what should be billed versus what was billed for the week. And so you want to be tracking that. And are these numbers that we should be tracking weekly, bi-weekly, monthly? What, what do you recommend? You need to look at your WIP weekly okay? because similar to that cash flow forecast where you look out six to eight weeks mm-hmm. to give you time to react, you want to look at your WIP report weekly to give you time to react. Mm-hmm. If you're running behind, mm-hmm. you need some time to get people in the office and get more off hours billed or you need to go out and market some more to get a new job in. Mm-hmm. There is a point in every month where you have enough in WIP that you're going to bill out on the first of the month, Mm -hmm. that it will run your company for the next month. It's called your nut. Mm -hmm. Like, what does it cost to run your company for a month? And there is no better time in the month than that moment when you look at your WIP report and you realize... I got it. Your nut's covered because everything beyond that is Mm -hmm. profit. Profit. Mm -hmm. Yep. So utilization rate you say it has the biggest impact on profitability it does so i was working with a client at one point and oh my gosh he was so funny he said and and this was like our initial call okay i had known him for a while but it was our sales call and he said uh all right i'm gonna break through the million dollar barrier this year i'm like great totally Mm -hmm. support that it's like so i've staffed up a little bit so i have a little bit of extra but I'm, I'm going to do a million dollars. And he had done like 850 the year before. So he starts telling me about his team and I start asking questions and I'm like sitting there with my little calculator. <laughs> and I was like, uh, Marshall, you have $2 million worth of capacity mm. and you are utilizing about $850,000 worth of it. Mm-hmm. He had twice the staff that he needed. His utilization rate was under 50%. Mm. And he was losing money 
every single month. Mm -hmm. Do you want your utilization rate to be at 105%? No, your team's going to burn out. Do you want it between 95 and 100%? Absolutely. Do you want it under 80? Probably not. Mm -hmm. What percentage of the hours you have to sell are you are you working? Mm -hmm. And I do want to be really, I want to kind of delve into something here really quickly. When we say hours to sell, when I say a billable goal, it is unrealistic to expect anyone to bill 40 hours in a for, working a 40-hour week. Mm-hmm. It's a very great point. So there is at least 20 to 25% of that time that's what I call frictional time loss. Mm-hmm. It's the time it takes to get a cup of coffee or go to the bathroom or hang up the phone with a client and and try to get your head straight before you sure. go on to the next project. Sure. So, yeah, you keep can't, that in mind. You can't bill all of every hour that you work of every day. It's just not you possible. Can't. It's not. No. And no. if you are, I really kind of question your billing practices. Sure. sure. Okay. So that was uh, key number number three, work in progress. Key number number four is budget versus actual, which is one of another one of my favorite numbers personally to follow. So you call budget versus actual actually a profit plan, not a budget, which I, I love. So why is this number so important and how do we use it? So first of all, we call it a profit plan because budgets are restrictive. And mm-hmm. as entrepreneurs, we're all about the possibility, right. not the prohibition. So, <laughs> it, you know, I'm not going to set everybody up for failure going, this is your budget and this is all you can spend. Let's talk about your profit plan. Let's talk about what we plan to do in the next year and how much profit that's going to produce. Mm-hmm. It's great to dream. It's great to project. But at some point, the rubber hits the road. We need to see how we actually did. Mm -hmm. And that is what this report does. Absolutely. And for entrepreneurs who are usually not only is the half uh, is the glass half full, the glass is going to overflow. The glass is overflowing at any moment. Yes. (laughs) This report in and of itself really grounds you in a bit of reality because you talk about that what all of these numbers are designed to help you course correct if you need to. Yes. And a budget versus actual really allows you to see how you're tracking. Right. Did we make our revenue numbers? Did we not make our revenue numbers? Mm-hmm. If we if we made them and were over, what was that activity that mm-hmm. we did mm-hmm. that brought in extra money so that we can repeat it? Right. If we didn't make it, why didn't we make it? Mm-hmm. Did we have some faulty assumptions? Okay, great. Well, let's go ahead and correct those assumptions now. Mm-hmm. Sure. So that it doesn't flow through for the rest of the year. Because the last thing we want to do is just, you know, be so overly optimistic and so pie in the sky and yep. so the glass is overflowing. Let's be realistic because the last thing we want to do is lose money. Sure. And, you know, that's what your team has been great about with me in particular. Laura, you know, brings me back down to <laughs> earth and 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 says, well, that's great. Let's make that your stretch goal, you know, and 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 it it really does. Um, it does help. I mean, it takes for me the most discipline to be able to adjust, but it has been a great tool. So. I actually find a lot of comfort in it. Mm-hmm. I am the one that's always going to look for the half, glass half full. So, okay, we totally missed our revenue numbers, but what expense numbers did we make? Mm-hmm. 
as much as you can find a negative in anything, you can find multiple positives. Mm -hmm. So what am I doing right? Because sometimes as an entrepreneur, we just need a pat on the back. Well, in 2020, let's just be honest, was super difficult for just about every business owners and small business owners, especially. And so to be able to go into that budget versus actual and to your point, pick out the positive. So yeah, maybe I didn't hit my revenue number, mm-hmm. but uh, I lowered my overhead or I decreased my interest expense or or yeah. whatever the case may be. Or I thought I was going to run a $10,000 loss this month, but I only ran a $2,000 loss. Mm-hmm. Like that is a big celebration. Sure. And, and here's the thing, 2020 was crazy. Mm-hmm. There were people who had millions of dollars of revenue that went to zero. Mm. There were people that had, I mean, we had a client that had less than $2 million that ended up doing over 20. Wow. The budget versus actual saved him mm. because he could see, we could see that his business was growing so much faster than he thought, mm-hmm. which meant that we had to get a whole lot of stuff in place to support that growing business. Sure, yeah. Because where you are at a half million dollar business, at a $3 million business, at a $20 million business, you need different structures. You do. And systems in place. Yeah, you need different software. You need different employees. You may need different environment, like Mm -hmm. an office. Your tech is going to be radically different at half a million than at 20 million. Mm -hmm. Sure. what are those things mm-hmm. and how fast do we have to be replacing them? And, you know, I mean, that was a big reason that I came and started working with you all. It wasn't just that I needed to get a handle on my numbers, which I did, but I also saw that I was about to start working with some major clients and I was about to make that next big leap that we talk about in entrepreneurship that, you know, I'd come through that valley of death and and <laughs> had hit the next plateau and you know i mean it's just the nature of business right we all hit these plateaus and there's a valley of death between it and i knew that i couldn't step into that next phase on my own and succeed the way i wanted to succeed i needed help absolutely and And do you remember why you came to me um i do sure (laughs) (laughs) you wanted a budget yeah that was why you came Mm. ultimately We got you one, but that wasn't what you really needed. Mm -hmm. But you knew that you weren't ready to plan for that growth. Right. And you wanted that help planning. Mm -hmm. I I wasn't sure where you were going with why I came to you. (laughs) I wasn't sure uh, how much I told you, you know. Um, so As she wiggles in her chair like, oh, my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, I have said countless times, and you know this, working with you and Laura has been the one of the best things I've ever done for my business. Let's go to the fifth key number, Brooke. So that's sales calls booked. Whew, boy, I could do a better job here. So does this <laughs> number apply to all businesses? Can, can all businesses monitor their sales calls? Yes. Okay. Do you want to do it if you're in retail? That would be people walking through the door mm. on a daily basis, whether they buy anything or not. That's mm-hmm. that's a sales opportunity. Mm-hmm. For you, it's anytime you're talking to a potential client. How many of those conversations do we have? And you're so funny. You're like, oh, I could do a better job on that. Tara, you work with whales. Mm. You don't land a <laughs> whale 
in Overnight. a 15 minute phone call. No, you don't. You don't. And and so you've got a really long cycle, sales cycle. Mm-hmm. Other people have a short sales cycle. But the point is, is that you should understand your sales cycle. Mm-hmm. From the first time somebody contacts you until they either sign or die, <laughs> how long does that take? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And the place where we look at it, well, let me back up. The That cycle is a series of like, I don't know, five yeses, mm-hmm. right? They contact you and you have to decide if they're a good client for you or not. Are they qualified? Mm-hmm. Yes or no. Mm-hmm. Then you have to figure out, um, have they booked an appointment? Yes or no. Mm-hmm. Do they show up for that sales call appointment? Yes or no. Right. Like, there are all these sure. yeses Did I uncover a need? Yes or no. Is that yeah. need immediate? Is that still a need that we want to fill? Yes or no. Right. 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 So you and can track those things is you what track you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you track them. But the one that's really important is when they get in a room with you, whether mm-hmm. it's a virtual room or a physical room, do they buy? Mm-hmm. And knowing that knowing whether they buy or not, Hmm. knowing that every time you get 10 people in a sales call, five of them buy. That's the number you want. That's That's the the metric. That's the metric. So when you Hmm. know that 50% buy, knowing how many clients, how many sales calls you have in the next month is going to tell you how much revenue you're going to have down the road. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, and... So many times, especially if you're new at sales and this we could I do want to do a whole podcast on <laughs> on selling and we won't go that far that deep today. But so often you start to count things as, oh, this looks good. You get really excited. Oh, this person. But when you're really honest with yourself, is this really a buying unit? Is this someone nope. who can really buy from me or am I just telling myself this so I feel better and inflating my numbers? So this is a really hard number to, not to track, but it's a number you have to be really honest about. And if yep. you as the business owner are not doing the business development, then you better, better make sure that your biz dev team is very honest with that number. Because as the business owner, you're tracking their efforts. Yep. And you want to make sure, because to, to your point, you're tracking those efforts to project your revenue forecast in the future. And if they're telling you, oh, yeah, I've got five out of ten... They better really have five out of 10. Well, you know, it doesn't become one of the five until there's a signed contract. Mm-hmm. That's when it counts. Got it. So when it's a signed contract is when you can count it. That's right. So mm-hmm. you look historically mm-hmm. and you see how many sales calls does it take to get one signed contract? Mm-hmm. One of the other things that's really nice to know is what's the average time between the sales call and the signed contract. Mm -hmm. Because like for you, it's probably six to 18 months, right? Correct. Like that's a really long sales cycle. For me, Mm -hmm. you know. There's a lot of dripping. It's much shorter. Yes, you drip a lot. (laughs) I need to learn to drip better. The the drip campaign is (laughs) is, is real. And you talked about either until they sign or they die. And my mind immediately went to what I call the dead file. And so... (laughs) 
eventually I'll put prospects in a dead file, but that file never gets buried. And I'll eventually go back and look at it, read through it. And I'm like, hmm, I probably should drip on that person again. And I I am tenacious enough that I am determined to turn no's into yeses, no matter how long it takes. Well, and that's why you have the incredible clients you have. And that might be why my sales cycle is so long. So, so can tracking your sales calls also apply to people that sell products like tangible products that's inventory? Not necessarily they have a retail store, mm-hmm. but um, but they sell products. How does that apply? Yeah. So think about like online. Did they come to your website? That's like that's Step the one, sales maybe. call, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Of 100 people who come to your website, how many of them convert? Yeah. Not just how many people put stuff in the shopping cart, because how many shopping carts do you have full right Mm -hmm. now? Various, Yeah. Right. Doesn't count. (laughs) Too many. Too many. Yes. But we don't need all that today. So, you know, how many actually buy? Mm -hmm. And what's that average sale for Mm -hmm. you? So are there some simple tools that we can use for um, tracking our conversion rates? And what are those? For um, service-based businesses, it's a spreadsheet. Mm. And it's a simple spreadsheet. Potential client name, mm-hmm. first date of contact. Mm-hmm. Are they qualified? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. The um, Did they make an appointment? If so, what's the date? Mm-hmm. Did they show up for the appointment? Mm-hmm. Did they convert? Mm-hmm. Yes or no? Tracking every section. single one of those. Every single bit along there. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like to, to track where the lead came from. Mm-hmm. Did they Google you and find you? Were they a referral? Did they hear you on Fierce Lab? Like, what sure. What brought them to you? Mm-hmm. Because that tells you an awful lot about your sales cycle, too. That's a good point. Very good point. Okay, we are down to the sixth and final number that you say we should be tracking, which is net new engagements. Tell me about that. Your team can only handle so much work. Let's go back to that capacity thing mm-hmm. and your utilization. You want to know a lot about every client engagement, how long it lasts, about how many hours it takes, and from what people. Because once you know that, not only can you start to play in your revenue, but you can play in your expenses. You mm-hmm. know how much pressure a client puts on your team. Mm-hmm. Right. So when we start looking at net new engagements, that is those clients that converted mm-hmm. minus any clients who you've wrapped up. Mm-hmm. Right. So net new. Yep. Not just new, net new. And when you start looking at that, now you can start projecting into the future. Is it possible to have a negative net new number? Yeah, that means you're closing more than you're selling. So your people are going to be bored or you're going to have to let go of people. Mm -hmm. But as you start looking at that trend, you can understand, for instance, if I keep, let me, let me, let me figure something out here. All right. Let's say that a team Mm -hmm. that you form pods on your team and it is one of these people and two of these people and half of another person making this up on the fly. Okay. So, A pod can handle 20 clients. If you have five net new clients every month, you have four months until you're going to fill up a pod. Mm -hmm. 
how long does it take you to hire all those people? Mm. Does it take about two months? Okay, so you've got two months from today to get that next pod on mm-hmm. hired, trained, and ready because they're going to have to start taking new clients. Sure. Right? You're going to run out of capacity. Mm-hmm. Same thing if you are, if your net new is negative five, mm-hmm. you're going to have to be firing one of those pods every four months. Mm hmm. Or figuring out a way to put business in. Yeah, to turn that net new mm-hmm. into a net positive. Okay, so we have covered all six numbers. So let's uh, let's summarize. By following these six numbers, we get a clear picture of the health of our business. Is that an accurate statement? I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can see exactly where you are. You can see what's coming up Mm -hmm. and you can see what adjustments you need to make to get to the top of that mountain. Mm -hmm. What are the four that are the forward looking numbers that you referenced out of the six? So the forward looking ones are cash, um, work in progress, sales calls and net new engagements. Okay. And the two that help you get back on track are budget versus actual and owner compensation. So. One of the things that I appreciate about your new book, and thank you, by the way, for getting me an advanced copy, um, which let's just tell you again, from panic to profit, how six numbers can make a six-figure difference in your business with Brooke Lively. Uh, One of the things I like about your new book is that um, you devote an entire chapter to managing these principles on your own. It's a how-to chapter. So what will readers find in that part and and who is that part of the book best suited for so at the beginning we talked about people who weren't ready to get vulnerable and talk to me Mm -hmm. this is for them this is for people who may not think they're big enough these this is for people who are like i'm not ready to work with somebody i think i can do some of this in-house and here's the thing nothing that we do is rocket science Mm -hmm. right to you (laughs) to us i get that but i have tried to write this whole book in kitchen table english Mm. and not use fancy terms and everyone should be able to understand it and so like when we're looking at this we want i want to give you some ways that you can do these things yourself Mm -hmm. and that's really what we're looking for so how to write that engagement agreement Mm -hmm. that's going to get you paid how to head off a cash crunch How to get your books done. Are you the right person to be doing your books? Mm-hmm. Or should be should you be using a bookkeeper? How to create a cash flow forecast. Well, I've already told you that you can go to cathcap.com forward slash fierce lab and you can download one. Mm-hmm. But this chapter talks about how to work it a little better. Yeah. And how to create a profit plan. Mm-hmm. How to create those goals for yourself and how to keep yourself accountable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I loved what you said. If you don't feel you're big enough yet to work with you, this book teaches you in plain English. And trust me, I prior to meeting you, there are a few that <laughs> hold themselves out as experts and I read their books and it, they made my eyes cross. Um, 
but this teaches you in plain English how to do it for yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I really, I try to include a ton of stories in there. I know that for myself, when I read business books, I'm like, oh my God, that's so boring. Right. But if you put it in a parable. Yeah. Which many are. I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's great. Well, here's the thing. I'm a numbers girl, not a words girl. Mm -hmm. So to do this in a parable was just beyond me. So I added as many real stories as I could mm-hmm. because I felt like that was a little more entertaining and it explained the concept yeah. a little better. Well, and you can start to see yourself in some of these people um, that you use as an example, as examples. And you also recognize I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. Because as you said at the top of the podcast, as an entrepreneur, I didn't get into business to be a financial expert. I got into business because I'm passionate about something and and I knew that we could do a great job doing it, but it didn't mean that I was really great at managing my own books. Yeah. No. Hire the professional. That's right. And, mm-hmm. you know, on that one thing, mm-hmm. let's talk about the opportunity cost of doing your own books. Yes. Because your billable rate, I promise, mm-hmm. is higher than what a bookkeeper charges. Absolutely. So let's give it to the expert who can do it faster and better Mm -hmm. than you struggling. And you can count on. And then you can go and you can ask those questions and you get the high-level overview. Now, that's not to say you shouldn't understand what the bookkeeper, or in my case, the CFO, is doing. Mm -hmm. um, But it, it does mean that I'm not stuck in the weeds doing something I'm not good at. Right. Mm -hmm. And let me ask you. Do you have a better grasp now of financial concepts Absolutely. than you did five, six years ago? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's learning that goes along. Absolutely. We feel like if a client leaves us, mm-hmm. there shouldn't be backsliding. There shouldn't be, like things shouldn't crater. Mm-hmm. We should be teaching you how to keep all of this going. And you have, and but I've I've said... It's the last thing I'll cut, you know, because at the end of the day, I want to sleep well. All right. So clearly I'm in love with Cathedral Capital and the team that I work with. If others um, are motivated to meet you and the team, Brooke, how how do they find you? Um, I think the easiest way is cathcap.com. It's our website, C-A-T-H-C-A-P.com. We couldn't get Cathedral Capital, so we had to shorten it. Okay. Okay. And they can find you on LinkedIn as well? LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. You can find the company. We're usually Cathedral Capital Inc. Mm-hmm. I mean, we... you can reach out to me and I can put you in touch with Brooke. There you go. Mm-hmm. You want my here. You can email me directly. Go for it. Brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E at CathCap.com. There you go. I read my own emails and I respond within 24 hours. I love it. You are very responsive. Okay, so before I let you go, by the way, this was all fantastic. Um, Let's just recap these six numbers really quickly. First number is cash flow forecast. Owner compensation is the second. Work in progress, the third. Budget versus actual. Sales calls booked. And finally, net new engagements. Those are the six numbers as a business owner we need to go and know in order to go from panic to profit. Before I let you go, the question that I ask every guest is, what's the word fierce mean to you? You know, I remember when fierce really started to enter my lexicon. People would talk about, oh, he's so fierce or she's so fierce. And I'm like, really? 
I need you, I need you to define that for me. <laughs> and it was very often the way they looked. Like that's a really fierce outfit. And I started looking at that and realizing that the fierce was an attitude that mm. was coming out in all different ways. And it was an attitude of being like unstoppable mm-hmm. and some confidence and some individuality mm-hmm. and all of those things, which as entrepreneurs, we all show we are all fierce mm-hmm. about our business. We are behind it. We believe in it. We think that we're different from somebody else. Like all of that comes through mm-hmm. in the word fierce. Mm-hmm. I love that. And you know what? You make your clients feel fierce, unstoppable, and confident. No doubt, Cath Cap is a fierce company. Thank you. That's a huge compliment. Good. I appreciate you being here today. Thanks for sharing all of your knowledge and um, and really breaking it down for us. I'm so glad you joined me in studio. So am I. Thanks for having me, Tara. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Fierce Lab. If you did, I would appreciate it if you would subscribe and maybe share it with a friend. You can always follow us on Instagram at Fierce Lab.